This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is MSP. My name is Rich Bradbury. I'm in the studio, of course, with Matt Armitage. Uh, We seem to be living in a world of oversharing extremes. On the one hand, Apple Martin publicly criticizes her mother, Gwyneth Paltrow, for sharing photos of her without consent. And on the other, the matriarch of a popular YouTube channel is currently facing allegations that she pepper sprayed her kids for messing up their lines. But it's not just about how we treat kids in a digital world. As the millennial generation edges towards its 30s, what's happening to the kids in the generations that follow? Here to tell us how to pull our socks up and stop being silly billies is MSP's Matt Armitage. Uh, Let's clear something up from the start. Is this show intended as a how-to guide for uh, exploiting your children? Hey, Rich, I know that uh, I seem to get cast as this kind of AI-toting modern-day Fagin figure, but no, we're not going there. Uh, There's already enough child exploitation of tremendously varying degrees going on without me adding to it. Uh, Of course, my popular online course, How to Make Money (laughs) Off Your Weak-Minded Kids, is available for only $99.99 in the currency of your choice, from the Culture Pop website. Yes. Uh, Someone who bought it said it contained four hours of nothing but you laughing. Uh, Yeah, it's a theme that runs through most of Culture Pop's online (laughs) courses. Uh, Get Rich with Cryptocurrency is especially popular. (laughs) And it's true, my course on cryptocurrency is making me rich. Um, But I have my social responsibility hat on today. And, of course, when it comes to kids, there's quite a lot of ground to cover. We're looking at uh, deliberate... Uh, exploitation. Well, that's one aspect. Uh, there are the online scares and memes as well. Um, there's innocent oversharing, and there's also the emergence of uh, Gen Z as this so-called burnout generation. Mm. So we're really looking at um, a much kind of bigger cause and effect cycle. Do you think we're still obsessed with millennials? Yeah, and it's really weird. Now, I discussed this with Jeff in a previous show. The last millennials were born in 1994. The oldest millennials are now 38. Uh, We'll be having to call them millennials fairly soon. Uh, If you're 25 or older, um, or, or younger rather, then you're not a millennial. You're a digital native. And even for the digital natives, the last of that generation has already been born. Generation alpha? Yeah, anyone born after 2013 or so is actually characterized as Gen Alpha. So when we talk about the exploitation side of this, it's Gen Z and Alpha that Mm. we're really talking about. We're not talking about millennials. And very often, uh, the ones who should know better, the parents who were brought up in the shadow of the digital revolution, they are millennials themselves. So they really should know better. Well, in a sense, but um, that's why I think we're seeing so much of a backlash against social media companies, not so Mm. much in terms of the privacy and the fake news. I think those are very much Gen X and Gen Y preoccupations. 
it seems that Gen Z, the digital natives, are responding in a much more visceral way by not signing up for them in the first place. And for all the shouting and foot stamping that, you know, our generations do, that lack of engagement is far more worrying for these big companies than our transient temper tantrums. All right, we'll, we'll goop with Gwyneth in a bit. Uh, this is a story that came out in March. Uh, a mother in Arizona was arrested for abusing uh, uh, abuse relating to some of her seven adopted children, many of whom were helping her to front a popular YouTube channel called Fantastic Adventures. Yeah, so we've reported before, and I think most people are aware that YouTube's most popular and highest earning channel belongs to a yeah. seven-year-old boy, um, Ryan Toys Review. Uh, of course, this has nothing to do with the abuse story. I'm going to make that very clear. Um, Ryan's parents who film his clips seem to be pretty responsible people. But I'm using the example to give some context to the Fantastic Adventures channel. I mean, it, it, this is really big business, isn't it? Well, yeah. Forbes reported that Ryan earned around 22 million US dollars wow. in 2018. For a seven-year-old, you know, that's big bucks. And while Fantastic Adventures wasn't in Ryan's league, the channel has racked up more than 250 million views of its videos. Mm. The kids would appear in videos that made it all look fun. They'd have pie fights, water fights. Uh, but a welfare check uh, found a much darker picture because they were all adopted kids. Uh, so the welfare authorities check up on them periodically. So they found that kids were being denied food and water. They were being locked in closets. They were beaten. They were even pepper sprayed wow. for transgressions as small as forgetting their lines for the videos they were being forced to perform in. Uh, are there any regulations for this sector? Remarkably little, uh, especially as a lot of it flies under the radar. You know, if a child is working on a film or TV set, then in many countries there are labour laws that yeah. uh, limit how much they can work, uh, how many hours of education they have to have. Uh, and of course, there are the general child labour laws. These videos and channels muddy that line between work and play. Mm. Are parents filming their kids doing something that they love doing and sharing the results with the world? Or are they staging scenarios and turning the kid into a workhorse? You know, obviously, every degree of variation of this scenario kind of exists. And, it, and it's a lot more diverse than people think, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are kids playing with toys. There are the Twitch-type gaming videos. There are kids cooking food. There's even a subsection of the mukbang genre, which is videos of kids eating junk food. Okay, you might want to explain to uh, uh, mukbang to listeners who aren't already in the know as to what it is. Well, mukbang is a Korean trend. It means um, an eating broadcast, and it's actually been around for about 10 years. It's weird. It's very, very odd. Um, it originally started with adults eating large quantities of food and leading Korean mukbang stars were earning anything up to 10,000 US a month. Uh, some psychologists, because psychologists have looked <laughs> into this as well, uh, put the popularity in Korea um, down to the uh, sign of uh, the kind of growing loneliness mm. in countries uh, like Korea and Japan that has become more common in the digital generations, and that people are actually watching the videos. And this is quite sad. They're watching the videos while they eat themselves because it simulates the idea of eating with other people. Which paints a pretty bleak picture. Well, the whole concept of watching other people eat is pretty bleak. Mm. Um, but for some reason, the trend crossed over to the West about a year ago, and mukbang videos are now a thing. Uh, a growing subsection, as I said, is in watching 
or rather kids watching other kids eat junk food. And that's leading to all kinds of health campaigners saying, um, you know, maybe this is not cool. Uh, for one, you have kids performing by eating unhealthy foods and it's being watched by kids at home who are then being kind of tacitly encouraged to eat those kinds of foods. I mean, do you understand the attraction? Do you understand the attraction? No, <laughs> um, no I mean, it's not something that works for me, but like any trend, there are different kinds of mukbang. Um, some people watch because it's an intimate look inside a family. So they might watch videos that are quite straightforward. They're just watching a family chat around a dinner table. Yeah. Others are interested in the more extreme angle. So things like food challenges, um, spicy chili, all of all of yeah. that kind of aspect as and well. Is this something that the food industry is promoting? Well, you might uh, expect it to be, but certainly the fast food industry has been uh, under a, a lot of global pressure to offer healthy alternatives yeah. uh, and change the way they advertise and market, um, especially when it comes to children. So the impetus isn't coming from the food industry, actually quite the opposite. They seem to be keeping a deliberate distance. But that doesn't mean there isn't good money to be made. Uh, obviously, the revenue sharing from YouTube, once you start posting regular High traffic content uh, is one aspect. But there are other sponsors then? Of course. I mean, I've watched one of the leading uh, US mukbang channels. I can't believe I'm saying <laughs> phrases like this. Um, it's called Eating with the Candus. Uh, the Candus is their family name. Can do. Yeah. Can do. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? Um, they post a mixture of uh, videos. There are family dinners. There are kids eating on their own. There are kids eating with one parent. There are parents eating on their own. But one of the posts I watched was sponsored by a company selling air fryers, <laughs> which I guess is, you know, the healthier approach to junk food. All right. So, so what about the, the hidden content? You know, the, the Momo meme that had been floating around for the last couple of months. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess most parents have heard about this, the, um, the demonic faces yeah. hidden inside videos that kind of try and get your kid to like self-harm or, or kill themselves or, or whatever. Um, there have been plenty of instances of um, kids' content being posted and then hijacked with extremely violent or sexually suggestive material, but it does seem that the Momo scare isn't actually real. Mm. Um, you'll be unsurprised to find that the content algorithms of a lot of the streaming and tube services uh, uh, are unable to distinguish between hacked content and straightforward content. Um, and because they aren't that smart, so even when you have your parental locks engaged or you've downloaded the kid-friendly version of an app, there's no guarantee that some unsuitable content won't slip through and, you know, your kid will be watching Peppa Pig and then suddenly yeah. there'll be uh, somebody putting in their own animation of Pepper going to the butchers. And how is this being addressed by uh, regulators so far? Generally, very, very poorly. Um, as we demonstrated on Geeks last week with Australia's mm. legislation that could enable blanket convictions of Facebook employees for allowing unsuitable content on their platforms. You know, as you know, I've generally come down largely on the side of the providers with millions of people, uh, millions of pieces of content rather being uploaded every day. The task of screening it all is absolutely enormous. Uh, so... We could address that, for example, by giving Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whoever a couple of weeks to screen and uh, put up our posts. But we don't want that either. We want it all to be 
instant. Yeah. So we're asking them to do something that's essentially impossible. I mean, surely they, they should try and protect all the users, especially the youngest and the most vulnerable. Well, this is where there are the provisos. Um, you know, if you sit your kid down in front of regular adult YouTube, especially if it's been logged into with your adult email account, yeah. then you have to expect content suitable for adults to be served up to your young children. Mm. The social media and streaming companies do have to work a lot harder on all manner of uh, privacy and content-related issues, um, including the way that ads target and get served to these more vulnerable groups. However, if you have a version of your service that you say is for kids and you market that service for that group of consumers, then it's no longer okay to say, watch at your own risk mm. in the same way that it's not cool to sell toys with lead paint or toxic materials in them when you decided that you wanted to be in the game of selling to children then you've got to back it up with more than words or a slippery set of terms and conditions when we come back oversharing and meltdowns who's we get to discover it could be me it could be Max, it could be somebody else you are of course listening to msp here on bfm 89.9 Buggy Free Minum, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is MSP. Before the break, we were talking about the exploitation of children for financial gain. We looked at some of the more extreme examples and uh, some of the stranger and potentially more benign and let's not forget that some social media families, you know, it's actually a, a parenting decision, weird as yeah. it sounds. Uh, that earned income can allow one or both parents to get off that kind of treadmill of work. Mm -hmm. uh, some parents with successful channels have said that it has transformed their lives because they get to spend all their time at home with their kids. So it is a kind of, you know, it's a very tricky thing. Uh, so far, we've only talked about the here and now. Do we have any idea of what the uh, longer term implications are for kids who live in the shadows of these over-sharing parents? Well, as we mentioned earlier, um, they're not signing up for these sharing services uh, themselves mm. in the same way that previous generations were. Uh, we've discussed plenty of times the way they're curating feeds like Instagram, but keeping the real stuff for private messaging apps like WhatsApp and all of its competitors. Do you think then that uh, that's one of the reasons that Facebook is trying to uh, unify the social media, Instagram and its WhatsApp arms? Well, most of the speculation we've heard is more from this antitrust standpoint uh, that integrating the platforms more closely will make it more difficult or practically impossible to break them back into separate entities should lawmakers decide that the company has too big a market share right. or that competition is being restricted. Um, but I don't think that that will, will harm them. Um, don't forget, you know, unifying the messaging system of these platforms should give uh, all of the users the protection of cutting-edge encryption. But I doubt it will have escaped the attention of the senior management of, the, of Facebook, for example, mm. that this is still a way for them to find other ways to monetize a generation that is turning its back on their core services. But we do have a story about Apple Martin and her mum. Yeah, I mean, Gwyneth posted a picture of her daughter uh, without the permission of the daughter. And, uh, you know, there's a public spat. Um, don't post 
right. photos of me, which is fair enough. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a shame that we only discuss this stuff when famous people and their progeny kind of shine a light on it. Uh, and the same goes for the YouTube child stars uh, we were talking about before the break. Who knows what those kids are going to think about that later in life, mm. you know, because content doesn't go away. Mm. I thought nylon underwear with Batman on it <laughs> were the bomb when I was a kid. Um, you know, I'm still okay with the Batman thing, but I know that nylon underwear simultaneously leads to sparks <laughs> and fungi. Um, and, you know, I'm not that much of a fungi. Well, boom. Um, in a sense, it's uh, uncharted territory. Well, that's why this generation, the Zs, um, you know, they're classed as digital natives. Mm. Nothing like them has existed before. Uh, everyone before them has been more closely related to the lifestyle of cavemen than this kind of digital generation. Now, obviously, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, you know, you right. kind of get the point. What, what, what seems to be the indicators? Well, at the start of the year, there were a, a flurry of articles about influencers having breakdowns, which nobody was really that upset about. Um, but most of the current crop of social media influences are firmly in the Gen Z camp. Um, those child YouTube stars might even be Gen Alpha. And of course, at the aging influencer end, there are some of the younger millennials. And what does that make you? An old blowhard facing the cobbled walls of mortality with the gale force winds of infirmity blowing hard on my heels. You? You've really thought that through, haven't you? I have, absolutely. Uh, Gen um, X, maybe, I think, at the tail end, perhaps, of the beginning. I don't know. No, I mean, in, in fact, some social scientists are, are arguing that we abandon these broader generational categorizations. For example, a 38-year-old millennial mm. will probably have more in common with you or possibly even me in terms of society and cultural influences than they will have with a 25-year-old millennial yeah. whose outlook will be more closely shared with the digital natives. And those self-same millennials are now giving birth to these gen alphas. So those broad categorizations are fine in societies where the pace of change is slow and gradual. Right now, we're in an accelerated period. We may not stay in one forever. Um, so it may actually be more useful to look at kind of micro-generations instead. All right, without wanting to reinforce any of these stereotypes like avocado toast-loving, uh, work-shy, self-promoters, uh, are any of those stereotypes true? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you know, it does seem that there are some more scientifically-based differences. Obviously, it depends where in the world you were brought up, but there is evidence that uh, these generations reflect the more diverse world they were brought up in. Uh, many countries are becoming less culturally and racially homogenous. Now, I'm not a psychologist or a sociologist, uh, but this could be one of the reasons that younger generations are much more liberal when it comes to issues of race and sexuality. Right. Uh, a Sydney-based market research firm called uh, McCrindle has put forward the theory that um, Gen Ys, uh, that generations Y through Z are more likely to define themselves sociologically than biologically, uh, which is to say their tribe is people who think like them rather than people who look like them. Which could make them at once more inclusive and more insular. Well, yeah, the big issue is that uh, generational differences are more observation than science. And that gives rise to all of these truisms and pigeonholing. So we joke that the baby boomer generation was a little too fond of free love and their special sandwiches. Mm. Um, but there's the irony. The first generation to experience a dedicated youth culture 
is now the generation chanting to build the wall and voting for Brexit. So any so-called rules you come up with about generations are likely destined to fall. I mean, certainly we're told that Gen Y and Gen Z have uh, inflated expectations and very little loyalty in the workplace. And that's where we come back to the idea of sociology versus biology. Um, these are generations that are told not to expect a job for life. Yeah or an uninterrupted career. Uh, they grew up in a very fast-paced environment. They know technology can create jobs and eradicate them just as quickly. Mm. I doubt you'll find any of the 20-somethings currently driving Uber imagining that this is going to be their job for life. Because they expect they'll get something better. Well, because they know that Uber wants to put a machine in their place. Yeah. Um, you know, they treat jobs as temporary because largely they are. Uh, when you've watched MySpace go from one of the world's biggest companies to a penniless irrelevance in the space of your teens, why would you assume any company would survive longer than the media's attention span? So, of course, they want to maximize their time at a company, whether it's in their role or in terms of their salary. Now, I think you've uh, mentioned before that there's uh, anecdotal evidence that this generation will actually take a pay cut to get a better, jo a better job title or position. Yeah, and it might be counterintuitive to anyone who is looking to carve a career path in a particular company or industry where the idea of promotion is that you get a better salary. Mm. Uh, it makes perfect sense if you think your time at a particular company is going to be short. You want to make sure your CV looks as action-packed as possible because you're always looking to the next leap and you're always trying to figure out how to cushion your fall as effectively as you can. And surely some companies will take advantage of that. Well, of course. Um, career progression and wage growth is how they keep us quiet and servile. Um, but this allows them to go a stage further, uh, to keep salary costs down by employing dozens of interns with titles like chief beverage officer. A marketing rock star. Precisely. Uh, what about the argument that this is uh, generation burnout? Well, there was... Um, a much-talked-about BuzzFeed article that came out in January, I think. Um, I've put the links to as much of today's source material as I could remember on the show notes, so you can find that at culturepop.com along with my online courses. Uh, and I think that comes back uh, around to where we were talking about Apple Martin. Yeah. I do feel bad for this generation and its names, I have to say. Um, for years, I've been trying to get friends to name their kids things like Flange and Sprocket. Um, and they tell me I'm being ridiculous. And then they go off and call them stuff like Pudding and Moccasin. Mm. Uh, my own nephew is called Ripley because on his first ultrasound, he looked like Ripley's gestating baby in the Alien <laughs> franchise. <laughs> Absolutely. Genius. Um, you know, at least mine is obviously both a joke and an insult. Yeah. Um, their choices, Ripley aside, are simply soul-crushing. Buzzfeed, burnout. Okay, I went off on a rant again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so the piece was written by Anne Helen Peterson at BuzzFeed News, and a lot of what she says in it is true. Um, we have trained uh, Generations Y and Generation Z to work from a very early age. Uh they have extra tuition because they're told it will help them to get into a better university. Mm. They have planned and structured play dates. You know, you look at the weekend schedules for most families with young kids, and it's absolutely insane. Dance classes, sports, everything is pressured, pressurized, and goal-oriented. Yeah. You know, you can't have fun in a swimming pool unless you're breaking the world 50-meter freelance yeah. record. Whereas for us, it was a, a more about, let's go hang out somewhere on a Saturday and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, if my mum is listening to this, I apologize, but you had no idea yeah. where we were as kids. 
and neither did any of our friends' parents. Yeah. You know, I had the luxury of growing up in the countryside in a part of the UK that was actually really safe. And I remember one day, probably when we were about 10, we all thought we'd be able to cycle to the next town, Kings Lynn, about 20 kilometres away, along a busy single-lane highway with no emergency lane that was crammed with lorries and farm traffic. Did you get there? Well, no, of course not. We were on, you know, three-speed rally grifters and things that weighed about 30 kilos apiece. If you could get up to like five kilometers an hour, you were doing really well. But we made it halfway and we toured back leisurely along the back roads through some of the surrounding villages. And all of our parents thought we were at somebody else's house, not because we lied to them. You went to that house and you picked up your friend and you went to another friend's house and picked up that friend. Then you got bored playing at the uh, playing field and you looked for something else to do. Mm. And, of course, no mobile phones. There was just goodbye at breakfast and don't be late for tea. And we've lost that. Definitely. I think so. You know, we've replaced it with structure and stress, um, smartphones, social media, you know, a generation that never dares to dress down on Sunday in case they have to jump into somebody else's Insta shot. They're always on call. They're always on. They're always working or performing. And the irony is we call these people snowflakes, uh, lazy, dissolute, these same people are the people who are turning traditional politics on its head, who are passionate about campaigning for the environment, for injustice, for scores of other things that, you know, they that are close to their hearts. It's us who are the lethargic and cynically dispassionate people. This is, you know, their brave new world. And old codgers like us are just going to have to get out of the way and respect that. You have been listening to MSP here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.